seen uh, a dark song by any chance well i love i love it i have not uh, i watch it every day oh you have to you yeah it's it's a must but uh, but i watched it once a day every day for 21 days holy uh, shit all right which was not well which was i don't it was uh, it was part of my pro i think it was I was following their process with process of my own, and and it's it was um, strangely affirming throughout. So, and just well conceived, but yeah, yeah. So, so, so yeah, good. the yeah. the uh, or the rapid review of movies is something that I have or hadn't done for years, and I'm starting to come back to it. So, which is which is nice. It's, it's a quick chance to catch what you miss and get or get a feel for the or for the texture of it as much as anything else so yeah yeah that's a that's a good one yeah i think uh nadia bulkin was the one that um recommended that on the show and it uh, blew me away it's probably in my top 10 like i just really 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 fell in love with that it's a, it's a good one and for like yes. I, I don't know i grew up in a relatively uh amorphous but quasi-religious family you know like we went to church like on christmas and that kind of shit and like my parents would be like you believe in jesus and i'd be like i, I guess i don't I, you know whatever right like it's just this like kind of blob of a thing and it really spoke to that blob of a thing you know like i was it's like what, whatever, <laughs> whatever is residual of all of that 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 really stood out to me so well, I, I think before before we go talking too much more in depth, I should uh, I should go ahead and say, hey man, uh, we've kind of started. So, welcome to episode one hundred and thirty-two. We, we are deep within uh, episode one hundred and thirty-two of the Horror Podcast. My name is Tyler, and uh, by day I'm just an ordinary teacher, but by night I transform um, to into an ordinary teacher with uh, really bad anxiety. So uh, I also like to talk about spooky shit when I am nervous. So welcome tonight, um, and I would also like to welcome a couple of guests tonight. Number one, uh, the co-hostess with the mostest, the most sagacious skeleton I know, Orin Gray. And uh, more importantly, I'm very excited, not more important than Oren, I did not mean that in, in the least, but totally both of them are way more important than me, though, uh, is fantastically talented author, uh, Sean Demery. Sean, talk to us a little bit. Um, you know, how are things going? The first segment we have is what we've been watching. I think those of us that picked up this episode heard uh, a dark song. What, what drew you to, to that movie? Well, um, actually, I I don't know exactly or where. Well, I think it just it was one of those bits of um, weird synchronicity because I'd been uh, among many many other rabbit holes I'd been diving into. Uh, I'd been uh, rich or weird ritual magic stuff in part because um, because when you or when you follow Alan Moore long enough, you start to start to read stuff. And uh, the I had read about the uh, the right of of Abramelin or Abramelin. I can't pronounce it, but mm -hmm. but I know what it is if I see it. Um, and then I had formed the a dark song was uh, or bubbled up as something that had mentioned or that uh, mentioned and explored it. And I just took a look and was absolutely blown away and had to had to watch it again and again and again <laughs> and um, and yeah it's it stands up it stands up exceptionally well so that's um and just the the idea of sacrifice the idea of loss and uh, finding or finding meaning and rigor um Ugh. spoke to me um, just or a lot over the past 
year and a half, two years, something like that. So, uh, so yeah, a dark song, a dark song has been high on my list. Um, and what else? Uh, I'm the last per well, as far as uh, in an entirely different circle, I am. Uh, I had my wife or my wife convinced me to see Freaky, and I was I was pleasantly surprised. It was I laughed. Yeah, I it's laughed. funny. I parts and um, and I was surprised that Vince Vaughn was actually an affecting character or actor. He did. He, yeah. He worked it well. So. Yeah, it really has to be something different than Vince Vaughn. Because he's usually just Vince Vaughn, you know, like he's usually just that guy. And in that film, he he's a hoot. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I really, really did enjoy that. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned the idea of, uh, you know, pain and and loss and and finding meaning and all of that. And that's kind of been, I don't know. I've been in the mindset the last six months just through all of this, and not necessarily me because I. I, I think I live uh, a relatively privileged and, and lucky life, you know, uh, for the most part, I don't have anything seriously wrong with me and both my parents are still alive, you know, like there, there are a lot of things that I um, am lucky to have, but I look around this last year and I see the amount of suffering that every, everybody uh, has gone through, but certainly people less lucky than me. And I like, the real question is, is finding meaning in all of that suffering? Cause yeah, I don't, I don't know other than enduring it and coming out the other end as something hopefully better and stronger. But boy, that sounds like a platitude when you're going through some shit. So oh, this is true. Well, I found, uh, especially with a dark song, uh, it sort of spoke to, uh, because I'd had an extended period and I'm still pulling back from that extended period where I was not writing. And for a while, and which for a, when I told people, Oh no, I'm, I'm not writing. I haven't written for a month. Um, there are, I could, yeah, you could tell because usually I crank out, I've, uh, uh, my, or my signal to, to noise ratio is pretty solidly on the noise side, but the fact that I put out so much volume means that I get good stuff on occasion. So, um, with, but yeah, I hadn't touched a thing and the idea of, diving in and working every day and making the work itself matter and creating meaning from process that was that it's it is a self-serving and making or and uh, selfish way of looking at the or at how to deal with things but just knuckling down and saying i'm not going to meaning is just going to be doing the thing and getting through uh, yeah. is not it's not bad it it gets it done. It doesn't get it done cleanly, uh, but it does get it done. So, yeah. So yes, that's. Yeah, so that's I think, where I am. I think for a lot of us, like writing got to be just so much harder over the last couple of years. Like I was so envious of all the people who were like, "I have so much free time now. I'm writing so much." I'm like, "I have. I. I just can't. I write my work, and that's all I can do. I do my work, and that's all I can do." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Like uh, the the I I, I am not I, I I do a different type of writing and and you know it's it's mostly for the website and and for that kind of stuff and and I do like that but I I found the first thing to go for me once all the pandemic shit and all that happened was some of the creative stuff that I was so eager to get into and it's like dude when the whole world is falling apart or it feels like it like. I, I, I just felt weird to be doing that. So, you know, I was, uh, I, I get it. Sometimes you got to step back and fucking live in the moment. And when everybody is literally living in the same small ass house for a year, it makes you, makes you live in that moment, I guess. Or something. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Lauren, what have you been watching, reading all that jazz? I mean, as usual, nothing like relevant. I, I watch like things from the forties. So <laughs> well, all that shit from the forties is good though. It's great. Yeah, I watched I watched I got the um like so they, they released the Inner Sanctum movies, which they all had. They all came out within like two years. There's six of them. 
They all had Lon Chaney Jr. in them. They put them all on Blu-ray recently. So we, my uh, Grace and I watched like all six of those. Um, nice. Because they're like an hour long. Yay! Like, you, know, you could watch them. They're, they're like watching a TV show, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Um, so that's that's what I've been watching lately. I mean, they're they're all kind of you know fine, but <laughs> very good, very good. Well, um, I love the short the short angle of that. You know, uh, the only thing that beats a tight ninety is an even tighter sixty minutes. So yeah, I can do that. So I've got a couple of a uh, couple of things I need to mention. Number one is a movie I caught on from Fright Fest, but it is a movie called Last Survivors. And uh, I would say in a lot of ways, it's your kind of prototypical post-apocalyptic kind of thriller. Like there's a, a dad and his now uh, late adolescent son who have survived some sort of post-apocalypse, you know, or survived the apocalypse and now live out on their own in the woods. Uh, probably the, the, the most important thing that you would hear about this film is that it stars Alicia Silverstone, who uh, I think does a fantastic job. I, I enjoyed the movie. It's not groundbreaking by any stretch. Like, it's a really, like, you have seen this movie before. It's a really cold cabin in the woods, post-apocalyptic thriller, right? Like, you know, guys are trying to live out on their own and some people want to take their stuff and then there's some intrigue and all that kind of jazz. Um, I thought Alicia Silverstone was worth a watch. It's got this weird religious under uh, tone to it that comes really heavy in the beginning. And I was like, woof. Uh, like, like they talk about God and, and there's a lot of, like there are a lot of crucifixes at one point. It's very, I was like, oof. This is not going to be for me. And I was like formulating how I was going to talk uh, to the press agent. And I was like, well, you know. But then the movie kind of kicks some of that. And it really is uh, just about survival. So I, I would give a slightly better uh, than lukewarm uh, review of Last Survivors. But the real film that you need to watch is something called Double Walker. All right. And uh, Double Walker is still kind of making its festival circuit. I don't think it has distribution yet. But these, the premise is brand new, very original. The, this woman uh, is given the option, she kind of like dies, right? And she's given the option of either spending one more day as a human being, but knowing that this is the last day. This is it. It's 24 hours, you know, going to do whatever. Or she gets to live as long as she wants to as a ghost. And she chooses, because she was violently killed, to live as a ghost and try to track down uh, who killed her. And there is some really great old school movie stuff in it that's really fun. Like it's got an older movie theater. Um, the lead actress is also the director. And uh, it's just, she is incredible. So to be able to do everything that she put into that, um, it felt a little bit like... Do you guys remember the book slash movie that came out maybe a decade ago called Lovely Bones? Oh, yeah. 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 It, it, it's like uh, the horror version of Lovely Bones, maybe, with a little bit of humor. And, uh, you know, uh, Lovely Bones was written for a YA audience. This is very clearly an adult audience. But uh, totally, totally, totally worth it. So you need to check out, and I'll make sure I tell you guys when it comes out. But uh, the name of it is Double Walker. So... Speaking of, before we move on, speaking of like yeah. festival play stuff and things like that, yeah. Um, for people who are in KC who are listening, uh, I don't know when this is going to go live, but um, the weekend of like the uh, 13th, 14th-ish, um, if that has not already happened, uh, the Spine of Night will be playing at the Screenland. Oh, great, yeah. Um, and it's really good, and everybody should go check it out, and it's Friend of the Pod, uh, Phil Gillette's latest movie, and it's great stuff. So. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's so fucking weird. It's like... And it would be so fucking weird to see on the big screen. Like, Yeah, yeah. It's I like... I've been watching it on my computer, so... Yeah. It's really hard to describe. They they really work hard to describe it as heavy metal, which I understand why, but also, right. no. It's like heavy metal and He-Man had a child, um, but that child was, 
born as a like 25 year old kind of anime guy i don't know like it's got a lot of different influences it's really great though it's fantastic yeah i love it um yeah actually i think this episode will go out on the 18th but whatever we'll make sure we give him a shout out either way so travel backward through time and yeah. go see the spine of night everyone who is listening yeah or, or try to find it wherever it may be played because it uh <laughs> it really is quite good so our dark corner of the web uh this week is going to come to us from the free library which is at openlibrary.org and uh one of the books in this very legal, very, you know, uh, above board library is The Forbidden. And uh, that's the, the story that Candyman is based off of. So you can totally check it out. And, and not even like very legal with quotes around it, actually. Oh, yeah. Legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was really working hard to try to find a copy of that story. And there were like two or three, like, YouTube videos of like people reading it over like psychedelia or you know whatever and I was like I feel like an asshole giving that out because uh I guarantee you nobody's legitimately making money off of that you know I'm sure that guy's monetizing the hell out of it but that you know that's silly so uh yeah but you can check out uh the story that the man is based off of which uh I think maybe now would be a good time to get to our essential question which is, what can Naya DaCosta's Candyman tell us about generational trauma? Handing out candy to the neighborhood kids. One day, a couple of kids get razor blades in their candy. Police come around. That's when I saw the true face of fear. Get on your knees. Hands, hands, hands. They beat him, tortured him, killed him right there on the spot. A couple weeks later, more razor blades and more candy. He been innocent. So he's real? Candyman ain't a he. Candyman's the whole damn hive. If you're out here looking for Candyman, you ask me, stay away. I feel really connected to this story. God. Right here in this neighborhood. The legend started. Uh huh. And the legend is, if we say hey, his hey, name five, five times, times while looking in the mirror, yeah. we could summon him. Summon the Candyman. Hell no. Candyman. Anthony, no. Candyman. Stop. I don't want to get creeped out in my new apartment before bed. Can candy. Black people don't need to be summoning. No. I dare you. Don't say that. Say his name. Candyman. You better not do that last one. Candyman. Candyman. You want to be a part of the story, right? No. Say his name. Candyman. Anthony? Anthony. Anthony. You okay? Anthony. What the hell is going on? This neighborhood is haunted. I think I made a mistake. I brought him back. Candyman isn't real. He told me. Okay, Sean. I think of the three of us, you have seen it the most recent. And, and, and we have we have not talked about it in the least bit, at least in the context of whether or not we liked it and that kind of stuff. So did you like uh, you know, whatever we're calling this, the reboot, the remake, the sequel, the whatever, whatever we want to call it. Did you enjoy it? I did. I felt like it to a degree. Um, I've talked, or I referred to, or I've referred to it to a number of people as reparations, uh, because it made up for the, uh, for Feast of the, or Feast of the Flesh and all the other, or, and the, uh, <laughs> misbegotten uh, half sentient children of the original uh, but more to the point I liked I liked it seemed like it was I don't know if it could be called a, it's strange it felt like it was too much of an exploration of the general story of the overall um, of the overall or of the original story and of the mean or uh, deconstruction there you go. That's what it was. It was 
the uh, or it was a deconstruction of the original story a loving deconstruction will be fair but still it went into uh, it went into what made or what made the original move well the uh, sort of uncomfortable parts of the original movie and uh, to a degree validated or vindicate or validated what needed to be validated and called out what needed to be called out so uh, I dug it I dug it thoroughly and uh, and yeah, I, and uh, well, and there you go. That's that's yeah. where three yeah. thumbs up. Uh, <laughs> I, I dig it. I dig it. And and Orin, I think you and I have uh, talked off mic about it, but but you are generally pretty positive about this film too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like I've seen, you know, I've seen the, the complaints, and we'll, we'll get into some of the, you know. Uh, some of the criticisms people have leveled against it. And I don't know that some of those criticisms are even off base in some cases. But, um, you know, like, uh, for me, I mean, you know, it, it worked on its own merits, but also it worked because it did something different than the original movie. Like, it took the pieces of the original movie and it did something new and bold. And whether or not those, you know, whether or not those bold choices paid off, they were at least different. Like it's 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 the polar opposite of Halloween Kills, which we oh, which that's I, great. Which I yeah. berated last episode, you know, <laughs> for for being essentially a commercial for the property and not doing anything. This is many things, but none of them are just a commercial for the previous film. Like Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's the thing, right? So I should have mentioned this like before we got into the movie, but one of my absolute favorite things is when a film like this blows up in the movie theaters. And, and this did. By all accounts, this movie made way more money than anybody thought it would. And all of my kids, and I teach in a very, like, upper middle class, pretty homogenous school district. So most of my kids are, are, are pretty wealthy and white. And they were really excited to, to check it out and everything. And they didn't know anything from the original, right? So when they came back and wanted to talk about the film, it was so fun for me to lead that discussion with those kids and be like, oh, well, yeah, and this also has a link to this other movie, you know, and, and all that kind of jazz. And um, so the thing I should have mentioned before, uh, my panel got accepted at South by Southwest this year. So I'm going to be talking all about how teachers should use uh, horror fiction in the classroom more, which is going to be, yeah, it's going to be a ton of fun. And yeah, yeah. And hopefully, uh, I don't know, some people go to it because <laughs> it'll be great. Uh, or it won't, but either way, hopefully uh, some people will be there. But I think the idea that you can have a sequel, you can have a, I don't know, I like to refer to this movie as maybe the second film in like the Candyman cycle or cause it, it, the whole film, both of them I'd argue are really art centered and with the score that is so famous, uh, like music feels like a great companion for this. So to view the whole thing as a cycle and then you work into this idea that the Candyman is more of a, uh, I don't know, it, it, it changes, right? Like it, it, it has a, a different generational cycle or whatever it may be, but they're kind of the same. I don't know, it all just kind of works. So I, I, I really enjoyed it. Well, like, so again, something we talked about, um, you know, something we talked about with when we were talking about Halloween Kills and, and those kind of movies, just, again, I don't mean to pick on it, but um, we are getting so many of these movies right now that are, sequels made 30 years or 40 years after the fact, right? And if you're going to do that, I mean, it's not, again, it's not just this, it's not just Halloween Kills or Halloween. It's, it's, it's um, you know, we, we, got a, we got a Predator later, a sequel. We got, um, we got, we got a Ghostbusters one coming up. I mean, we're getting a ton of them, right? If you're going to do that, you need to do something that is not just retread the original movie or make a generic sequel to it you need to bring something to it that justifies going back to that well 40 years later you know or whatever like 
And I think this is a movie that uh, tries at least to do that. And I mean, I think I think it succeeds, but we can you know we can debate whether it succeeds, but it at least tries. Oh yeah, and that's the important part, you know, like. Yeah, and I see. I come, I come to it from. Uh, if you look at well, and and now I'm going to put on my uh, pretentious snob side, uh, avant garde uh, theater, uh, explore, in many cases avant garde theater. Uh, think of uh, Peter Hanke's uh, Hamlet Machine, where you uh, deconstruct the story of Hamlet or while maintaining or while maintaining the narrative or basically maintaining the narrative to a degree. Uh, there is there is a point at which a there is a point at which a text becomes so established and so known that there is value in revisiting it and actually are trying to figure out what what you can learn about it beyond or beyond itself. And that's what it felt to a degree. Um, especially when you, well, especially with the uh, change of meaning of the Candy Man to uh, being the, or to actually being a uh, an avenging figure in some way, um, that's what it felt. Or that's what that's what I pulled or pulled after my second or third view of or of the thing that there was that sort of speaking to the text or speaking to the text as text speaking to the text as over or as a greater part of a greater narrative speaking to the text on uh, multiple levels so uh but but at that point i or i probably was up pretty late and scrambling in different directions so you know, or so uh, your mileage may vary on that one uh, go for it I was just gonna say, I mean, and Candyman, the the story like Candyman is such a good story to do that with, because it's always been about that. I mean, like even going all the way back to the Forbidden, right? Like, it's a story about stories and about stories coming to life, essentially, right? And the way that the stories we tell define not only us but them, and all this stuff. I mean, that's that's always been layered in there, like, like. The Forbidden is already a deconstructionist story, right? It's, you know, and so you layer that then on top, you know, you layer the movie, which takes the original story and changes its context. And then you add this new movie that takes the previous movie and deconstructs that. And you just got these, all these layers, which it's, it's, you know, it's such a great vehicle to do that with, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I've been thinking a lot about The Forbidden and, because I think it kind of operates a little bit in this, this idea that it, it's like Peter Pan syndrome, that if we believe in it enough that it will um, manifest, right? And my, and my high school kids are very much into like manifesting lots of things, right? They'll say, I, you know, I, I need to manifest a date to fucking homecoming, you know, like they'll, they'll do that shit. Or they'll be like, uh, I need to manifest so I will uh, pass this A or get an A on this test or whatever. But... I think the idea, I like the bottom line is I think we live in magical times. And what I mean by that is there is a significant portion of our population that just believes in things that are factually incorrect, that are just not factually true. And I wonder if there is a secret threshold, right? Like where 40% of the population just doesn't believe in things that are true and at what point do you go to like 51% of the population that doesn't believe uh, something that we know to be true when like suddenly you become the guy that believes in things that, that aren't true, you know, like where things get manifested into reality and you're like, no, that's crazy, right? Like that's, that's insane. But now you're the one that is insane. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah. I mean, well, you're, you're talking about consensus reality. And right. You know the, the notion that we, and, and I mean you're getting into a whole a whole weird area because you've also got like layers of like what can we know, how do we know things, blah blah blah. But I mean you know like, yeah. I mean fundamentally you know you're you're dealing with with this issue of you know 
there's rise in like mysticism and stuff, which is often accompanied, which often accompanies rises in like nationalism and fascist, uh, you know, rhetoric and that kind of stuff. And we're, we're seeing just tons of that kind of stuff in our world right now. Yeah. Uh, hold on, I accidentally muted Sean. You can stay muted, Sean, when, and I, I will edit this out in post-production. I think I did that by accident. Whenever you want to talk next, just unmute yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, man, um, I think a reality in which things like monsters and this kind of stuff uh, exist for particularly, uh, I don't know, people in the United States that have been uh subjected to generational oppression like dude that's fucking like i get it i i think that that yeah. kind of manifesting reality makes total sense you know well and i and this in this particular story spoke to me about well it it speaks it speaks volumes about power and uh where power comes from how one can gain or what sort of well, what sort of uh, how you can or how one can actually influence the world, and that's that's one. Or I actually I had a or I uh, talked to somebody about the movie, and they uh, called Billy Burke the villain, mm. and and I said, uh, well, if you consider it, well, he is as much of the villain as John the Baptist was. Um, when it comes down to it, uh, he is uh, as much of the villain. He was. He is someone who sees a wrong and, and can see no way to undo that wrong except to make his or basically uh, pull people into a story. And, oh, damn. Which is which. And yes, people died, and uh, yes, horrible things happen, but people were dying and horrible things were happening. So uh, it's a way to, and uh, to a degree he, um, he played the, or yeah, uh, like Oren had said, or talking about uh, that, or talking about that mystical tradition. He, he took that role of, or he took that role of um, the wise man outside of the village who, uh, or who, uh, is or basically is set or is set beyond and is the or is the way in the gate and is able to uh, help bring or help manifest whatever else. Uh, I'm I'm loath to use the word shaman because it's it is loaded and it's a crap word, um, but it's not actively inaccurate. In this <laughs> yeah, case. yeah. So I, I think this is a great point to bring up. Um, my absolute favorite piece of reading through all of the criticism when it came out about Candyman uh, was this piece in The Hollywood Reporter uh, by Richard Newby, who's one of my favorite freelance writers out there. Um, and the entire thing, the, the entire write-up, I think, is, is fantastic, but I, I pulled this particular out. Uh, it would be too easy to reduce Burke's desecration of Anthony's body as black-on-black violence, but it's more than that. It's an act of taking that narrative and then controlling it. It's violence as a means of revolution, hideous as it may be. Burke is literally forcing Anthony to confront the history and pain that he thought he was entirely separate from him and become a part of it, a part of the hive. And uh, like, I, I, again, these are all a, uh, things I obviously don't think about, you know, but I think the listening to uh, black critics when it comes to approaching this movie is the, by far and away the most important thing that we could do. Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, I, I think that is the intended audience, you know, like I think there is a, a good message to be gleaned from this, not good in a in necessarily a positive way, but good is in like clear and, and uh, informative and, and leading to the cultural kind of zeitgeist about it. And, and honestly, I would love to hear both of your, your impressions because I consider both of you uh, exceptional artists, but the role that art plays in all of this, in pain, in suffering, in uh, I don't, essentially making peace with some of that, 
uh, or, you know, I don't know, making peace with the violence that comes from some of that. I don't know. Art plays a role in this movie. I just don't fully maybe understand what, <laughs> if that makes, if that helps. Like, I, obviously art is a part of this movie, right? Or no? Well, absolutely. And I think that art as a way to validate and as a way to bring a message to a wider audience mm. is is where is entirely where it comes from uh the fact that the mess or the um, the tagline is tell everyone yeah. it's no or it is no longer be my victim which um which sound which sounds great especially from or from tony todd <laughs> but um tell everyone says at the end of well what it says is um experience this thing understand this thing know that this thing is real and valid and reach a point where you cannot turn away from it uh, and that comes through stories that comes through art it comes through the act of creation throughout and uh, burke's creation of uh and or basically uh, remolding of anthony as candy man and are including um changing his narrative to make him into that particular or that doomed martyr figure um is as much of a part of well it's it is it's art it's it was it's it is um it's very bloody performance art and yeah. uh, and it has an intended it has an intended audience that has a larger or it has the audience that here's the or here's the story in its entirety so there is yeah it's it is a it's it's about stories it's about the power of telling story or telling the story and creating the story making an evocative or creating an evocative message um which is um which is why seeing anthony struggle to make the uh basically go beyond the sort of uh facile uh what are the facile this is what's going on rick from today's headlines pay attention um are basically are just shallow presentation of his or of his uh topic to going to going deeper and ultimately um putting blood and skin in the game to create something that has that has meaning and that does last um yeah. it's it's it it's exciting stuff. It's, it's what you, yeah. it's, that is the goal at some, unde or at some indefinable level. And yes, we don't yeah. necessarily as, as creators don't necessarily want to chop our hands off and uh, haunt or haunt the night with a cloud of bees around us, but we do want that to be, or to be able to create a work that has uh, meaning that, or that stands on its own and can, influence at a greater level so oh yeah uh, particularly when you couple that with like such an emphasis in this movie of the cultural import of that like the Candyman mythos right like uh it, it, it is it's a part of cabrini green right and and it is different in each generation but hell man I freely admit I'm enough of a narcissist, enough of a, an egomaniac. If somebody was like, I mean, your your legacy could be that you could live on and continue to, you know, uh, like either be this monster or this cultural touch point or this warning or whatever. I don't know. That's not entirely different than Jesus or any other character who becomes a martyr, right? Who who. Uh, is only powerful because of their their pain, their suffering, and ultimately their de their demise. Right. Also, there is a the cautionary tale is something. Um, brown people have a world of cautionary tales. <laughs> we have a um, as our I had I got the talk early on as far as. Um, do not or uh, yeah don't make or 
or stay in or stay in brightly lit places or make sure that you are uh, make sure that you do not look like a threat because you look like a threat um, and I've given that talk to my kids uh, make sure that you're and that's which is more galling to them because they're of a generation that sees that for the uh, for the sort of tyranny and selling out that it is but it is the tyranny and selling out that keeps you alive uh and that's the message for well and i watched i watched the uh, since i had the benefit of pay-per-view uh i was able to re-watch and rewind and i watched the final credit scene several times uh the shadow or the shadow puppets and watching that story and that story was told over and over uh if you over well if you overstep then bad things will happen to you and that's well and that's the story as it normally is uh the story was transformed to if you overstep then bad things will happen to you however you will have an opportunity to or you might impact the world at a greater level and some and there will be some level of justice that comes from your pain uh, which which is cool which is something that you don't hear and it's something that is it's something that you hope especially mm -hmm. with the number of people who um, you hope that tamir rice and trayvon martin become something more than a cautionary tale of uh, if you're a black kid, don't be too, or don't be big enough to look like an adult. Because uh, oh, then someone yeah. will eat you. Um, yeah. uh, you hope that there is something more that comes from that. And there's or that something more in the really real world is um, a sea change of how people deal with, the, or deal with each other and speak to, or and pay attention to power and pay attention to these things. Um, but the fact that the fact that um you could become a monster and scare people into doing the right thing at times it feels like that's as legitimate as uh, <laughs> cultural change happens. yeah 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 who gives a shit if it's organic anymore let's just fucking get them to do it yeah 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 or, i mean you know going back like as far as the gothic has existed really um you know like the the notion for any any group of people um because the gothic is always a, a a story about an imbalance of power right like always and anyone who has been in that position you know for whatever reason um who has been told over and over again that if you step out of line you will be punished you know you've got to always behave you can't ever be seen as a threat because everyone is looking for any excuse to put you in your place, right? Like the temptation, the the feeling of freedom that comes with, okay, I'm just going to become the threat then. You know, if, if that's how you're going to view me anyway, I'll become the monster. And we see it in so many things. We see it in, you know, like witchcraft narratives, right? Like which witchcraft was used to oppress women and minorities and various people. And we see these narratives that are happening, especially now of, you know, like the witch or whatever, where it's like, okay, then I will become the witch. I'll become the thing that you said I was all along and then you'll be sorry. Yeah. You know? I mean, um, and that's, that's freeing and empowering and liberating, you know, in, in certain ways. And it, it always has been, it's something we've always craved. Yeah. Well, and it gets back to, um, a term that we use in, in rhetoric all the time, which is reification, right? It's when we take a historically oppressed word and then whatever that group is incorporates that word into uh, a local vernacular or into a slang, but changes the meaning and thus usurps all of the negative power from it, right? And, uh, you know, so it would be like... Um, folks in the LGBT community uh, co-opting like the F slur and, or, you know, one of those things, or, um, you know, like one of the, the leading Jewish magazines um, is the, the K slur for somebody that's Jewish, right? It's the idea that it was a once negative term. We are co-opting that term, turning into something else and using it to be powerful. 
the idea that a movie monster could be the embodiment of that there's that is some fucking cool shit right at the end of the day uh using you know racial oppression or or racism in general uh and turning that into a to a a full-fledged monster with vengeance and i think the end of this movie there is some vengeance and rightfully earned uh is is weirdly empowering but i think i'm fucking cool as hell man that's very cool and oh, I, I wanted to talk about something that, that Sean mentioned earlier, where um, you know he, he talked about uh, Burke, you know, pulling people into the story. Um, and one of the things that I don't see talked about when I when I've read through stuff about this movie, I don't see talked about as often, is so like the movie does a great job using reflections, right? We see tons of mirror imagery. We see we see lots of, of flipped, mirrored images throughout the film. Um, beginning all the way back at the opening credits, right, which are the opening credits in the first movie flipped around. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that I don't see talked about is that basically everything in this movie is the first movie flipped around. Um, Like, in the first movie, and this is something I think people miss a lot, Candyman doesn't exist until she doubts him. He tells her that. He tells her, you know, I was just rumor. You obliged me to come by doubting me. And so she pulls him out of a story with her doubt of him. And in this movie, Burke is pulling people into his story. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. People People who have forgotten it. Right, people who don't remember the story anymore, but Burke's memory of it and his belief in it essentially is, you know, he is pulling people back into it and making them confront it. So, my question then is, uh, and I didn't have an answer when I watched this movie, and I, I don't know if I have one now, but like at the end of this film. Is the argument that we watched the evolution, the creation, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the manifestation of this particular generation's Candyman? And thus, uh, he will be the boogeyman that all these other, you know, kids or whoever they may be will eventually talk about? Is, 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 is that how you felt the movie ended up and do you think that was its intent let's go sean first at one level i at one level i got a very um very pessimistic view out of it and part of that was the implication that the story will not change Okay. Uh, the story that you re- or the story that we are being told um, is not going to change, and we we see that because we see the first candy, or we see, or we are shown the first Candyman. We're shown the, or we're shown Anthony. We're shown the uh, one from the seventies. We're shown the kid on the bike, or the uh, kid on the bike. We're shown over and over this story. This narrative is going to continue, and despite the actions of the actions to try to harness it and make it into something more um it's not going to or it's still going to happen the problem is not going to go away the problem is not going to get resolved which which is um which is a kick in the gut (laughs) yeah right Um, yeah but, but at but at another level the fact that um the fact that there is the um the fact that there is a name for what that is, or for that it's a uh, you're yeah we have we have a name for this thing and thus we can um, we can define it we it is a or this it, this person becomes this person who's been wrongly killed and um, and needs to have a voice um, 
becomes the or becomes the candy man or the next candy man and uh that's and it turns it into yeah it turns it into a it turns it into an option it turns it into a way to get beyond the um step out of line and you'll get shot narrative and makes it into a uh, the implication of some not necessarily choice as much as being called it is it's a call or you are called at some level oh um, i like it i like it you are, it's very much it is it's it, you are called it's to a degree you're called to service uh your pain has made something more and your pain for that brief period of time become or becomes something that cannot be ignored by your oppressors uh which i mean you, you which a martyr. still doesn't fix anything Right. But but you but you get your moment, and uh, you and I I don't know whether yeah I don't know whether it's I am my own chunk of pessimism that uh, that says it's not going to fix anything. But yeah. you get safe for a little bit, so that's something. Um, so yeah, that may be the best that you the and that may be the best you can get, uh, yeah. the best option that presents itself. So. Yeah, I, I I really like what you you say about that that uh, the the solace in the the community or you know something uh, greater that that you kind of transcend when you when uh, the the new Candyman gets exalted or whatever the hell we want to say. But at the at the end, I think what was so striking about both of these films really is the idea that the 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 Candyman both literally but definitely figuratively too the the candy man's body becomes uh, a tapestry in which the community can can look to their own pain and suffering and see it reflected in their monsters right so he it, 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 he becomes uh speaker of the dead right he becomes this this um I, 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 literally the body that that speaks the pain and suffering of the oppressed and fuck dude uh and then like at the end of this movie when we when we kill bad cops right when when this avenger i it it does not take a lot to see that as an avenging action and, and thus the candy man um to be an avenging angel you know well and that was um <laughs> Because I have because I have uh, young teenage sons, I have now watched TikTok, and um, oh, yeah. they showed me there was a uh, there was something that someone put out where she was playing the role of uh, a number of movie slashers who were talking to the Candyman, and uh, Freddy Krueger was basically saying, "Let me get this right. You are you are killed are you are killed by racist white people, so." you come back from the grave and kill black people i and yeah which which yeah and yes which, which is problematic at best yeah so yeah it but becoming but changing changing the narrative from that to uh being basically being the golem run amok and being that or having that moment of um of grand or a grand infernal vengeance before you are silenced again um being the or basically being the voice of your community's pain uh was it was why what i needed to see out of the or out of the uh, franchise it was what i needed for it to be relevant instead of just being a slasher movie so and i, I want to come back to the tiktok video actually but um before we do, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that, like, yeah, for me, um, like the 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 hope where there is hope at the end of this this new Candyman comes from that idea. Um, it comes from that tagline, actually, that tell everybody tagline, right? Like, up until now, Candyman has been contained in Cabrini Green, according to this movie, right? He's the the Burke talks about like it's a stain that gets stained over and over again in the same spot and eventually it won't wash away it's just you know it, it becomes a part of the fabric but it's been trapped there and 
the the goal this time around, right, is to free it. It's to release it and unleash it on the rest of the world, on everywhere else, right? Like on on the oppressors, essentially. And you know, and when this movie came out, like it's impossible to not see that mirroring, like the Black Lives Matter movement and the. Sure. For so long, you know, these these killings happened. You know, all the all these these you know police killings happened, but they weren't front page news. They only mattered to that community. They didn't spread. They didn't activate these big nationwide movements that have been happening more and more. And you know, it's it's that same notion, right? We're gonna we're gonna take the Candyman and we're going to let him spread. <laughs> yeah. That's, Absolutely. And that's where the hope comes from, where there's hope. Yeah. yeah. No, I, and I've, I think we would be neglectful if uh, we didn't tie everything together in a big knot and say the art surrounding George Floyd and surrounding the other, um, you know, the you know prominent, uh, I think martyrs is an okay word to use here, uh, you know, folks in, in Black Lives Matter, that I don't know, man. Like a lot of that kind of art is stuff that we associate. I will forever associate, um, you know, all the protests that I went to, all the protests that we saw on TV around the murals around George Floyd, man. Like uh, that, there are some fantastic artists that are working hard to, uh, you know, to to give give shape and. Uh, painting or you know whatever to the senseless violence that that has killed these people you know i i I think i think art is really important here i just wish i could do it right that's (laughs) at the end of the day that's 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 what it is sean uh, we're we're running out of time so i i i don't want to neglect anything that you haven't mentioned yet about the movie and i've lost it you still there they got you. Are you still there, Sean? Sean, are you there, Sean? We can I'm hear just, you, Sean. We can hear you. Okay, and you're back. Here you. Okay. Yay! Yep. Outstanding. So you were saying? Yeah, I, I was just saying. Uh, you know, we're we're running a little bit low on time, so I didn't want to. Um, yeah, I don't want to leave anything out that uh, maybe that you wanted to bring up and talk about the movie. Well, um, I think that actually, I think it does. It circles back to uh, that discussion earlier about um, a dark song and how both of these movies are centered around a ritual working, centered around or towards some greater end, the greater or and a greater end that goes beyond. Uh, goes beyond just saying or just the art bringing a thing forth frankly uh it's burke had the well burke took ours had the guilt of making noise at that or making the noise that brought the police that killed his candy man mm-hmm. and he is absolving himself of that guilt through uh making or through making making his own monster by summoning his own by summoning the uh, by doing the work that's that results in uh that results in that summoning and um and sacrificing himself in the process dying in the pro or putting putting his skin in the game frankly uh when he what had not done so before uh that's which which is a uh, just well just as much as uh, Solomon in uh, in a dark song sacrificed himself and I'm still I will go to my grave saying that uh, the voice that or uh, the voice of the sun was actually um, Solomon speaking to get or to um, get her to move. Um, and using that or using the kid's voice from or as his way of um, moving her forward uh, there is um, sa- or the or sa- the sacrifice behind, or the sacrifice behind creation is something that is 
it's it seems like it's a thread that is going through a lot of things right now <laughs> and uh, or coming back it's 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 a message that's been there for a long time the tortured artist but um but we're exploring what that actually means and why why it's relevant instead of just being um, instead of just being well pouty and pressure and a little bit overly precious uh what's actually diving in head first and uh, bleeding for your art actually does and actually is or why that's worth something so um so yeah that okay. was I like that it. was exciting that was a that was a plus yeah very good very good Oren, parting thoughts about uh uh naya da costa's uh, candy band um so i just i did i want to touch back on the tiktok video real quick um <laughs> so as it happens right after i watched i haven't rewatched the costas candy man since i saw it in theaters because i wasn't able to for various reasons um but right after i watched it in theaters i came home and i watched the original like literally watched it in theater came home watched the original um and i was watching it specifically to track a few things to to match them up and, and see how they you know lined up and um i realized that like so the the notion of Candyman is like a slasher essentially right is this this the slasher who kills a bunch of people mostly comes about from those misbegotten sequels we talked about earlier um, in the original movie he only kills two people <laughs> and like the the notion of him preying on the community he he's not actually there most of the time it's his it's the fear of him that preys on ah. him actively. Um, but uh, but later movies like retcon that inadvertently by sort of forgetting that he's just a story until he manifests. Um, but I think that this movie still does a really good job of like exploring that notion further of like, okay, we have this story, why do we tell this story? Let's make this story something that we can use against the people who are hurting us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, 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 uh, what I'm hearing is Oren is pitching that he will write the Candyman um, entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it's time that He's uh, he's a superhero. They all right, all right. They, prob they probably own it already. I mean, no shit, they own everything else. Yeah, yeah. Now come on, you'd be real excited if Jordan Peele directed the Candyman version of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe of uh, of Candyman. Uh, I, mean, I would. Nia DaCosta is directing the Marvels, so I mean that's close. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I, I, is I mean, it? Is true. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. That's great. I haven't yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but good for her. All right. It's not out yet, but, you know. Wait, isn't that the Kamel Nanjani vehicle? No, that's the Eternals. What did you say? The Marvels. That's the, oh, the Marvels. The Captain, oh, the shit. Marvel sequel. The you're right. The Marvel you're sequel. right. All right. All right. All right. I'm super confused. It's a long day. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, Candyman would fit nicely into Luke Cage. I, I oh, yeah. Bad thing to see at all. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, Sean, thanks so much for coming on the show again, man. Uh, we had you on for the original, and we will have you on for every Candyman movie <laughs> as it comes out, as long as you want to come on. So, well, <laughs> and also other movies if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you you've got me where you are, whenever you need me. I'm more than happy to. Thank you for, thanks for inviting me because I've been, I've been. Um, well, I've reached that point where I've talked to everyone who is willing to talk to me about Candyman, and uh, <laughs> and now I'm just accosting strangers. So uh, this is a much better option for me. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, where can people find more of your stuff? Are you on uh, Twitter? Are you on TikTok? Are you on Instagram? Uh, or do I, you have anything coming out? Well, right now I am. I'm still. I'm in a rebuilding phase. I have uh, a number of stories. I've got what looks like it may be an anthology in me. Uh, it's either going to be called, I hope this email finds you or trying. Uh, it is all of the story 
or all the things that bubbled out through the uh, pandemic period. Uh, but outside of that, I am, uh, yeah, I've got the, or I've got the backlog that I'm slowly, surely hacking my way through. Uh, but I am on, uh, I am on Twitter. I am on, uh, I am on Facebook, both as myself and as uh, Pine Fork Press. Uh, so yeah, keep an eye out and hopefully, hopefully I uh, will be able to uh, throw my voice out in there or uh, out into the world soon. I love it. Great. Uh, Oren, where can they find more of your stuff? As always, I am Oren Gray on every damn place, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all that jazz, and at OrenGray.com. Very good. You can check more of my stuff out, specifically at Ty Unsel on Twitter, where I tweet about horror uh, and politics and teaching and, and some amalgamation of all three of those. Uh, I also run the day-to-day -day Signal Horizon, a website dedicated to covering horror uh, in a vaguely academic fashion. So uh, check us all out there. And next time, or what are we talking about next time? We're going to talk about Dr. X, a movie from 1932. Is it is it short? They're always short from that time, it's right? Short, yeah, it's very short. Sweet! I cannot it's also, wait. It's also in two strip Technicolor, which you probably Ooh. never seen a movie in two strip Technicolor. You're right. There are very you're right. Few that exist. So, <laughs> I'm, surely there is a print available on a screening platform it, of some it's kind. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. You can perfect. Perfect. Great, great. Well, I'll get my uh, amazing Technicolor glasses and uh, I'll, I'll check it out. It'll be great. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, until next time, class dismissed.